0: Welcome to the Grappling Discourse Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scaff. Today, I want to talk about pain. On my way to work today, I listened to a really interesting podcast about pain. The podcast episode opened my eyes to some things that I just didn't realize and understand about pain and how we deal with it. it made me think a lot about a specific part of of my jiu-jitsu journey where I sustained an injury and I dealt with it rather poorly. I wanted to share this experience with you guys because I wish I would have done things differently and I know that injuries and dealing with pain sucks and it's depressing. So hopefully you can take something from what I'm about to tell you and you can deal with your injuries and pain uh, differently than I handled this uh, this injury uh, at this point in my jiu-jitsu journey. So, I know a lot of you are aware, but if you're not, I tore my right labrum, uh, my labrum in my right shoulder four days before I received my brown belt from Eddie Bravo. It was a couple of weeks after the Eddie Bravo seminar after I'd been promoted that I found out I needed surgery. And it was a big blow because I'd committed myself to being a professional grappler. I had some super fights lined up, I had planned some seminars, And I just had set a bunch of goals that were going to further my jiu-jitsu career over the next year. And now I was possibly looking at six months to a year off the mats. And it scared me. I just didn't know what was going to happen. I'd never had surgery, and so I just didn't know what to expect. For a couple of days, I really contemplated stepping away and doing something a little bit different for the next year or two. When I got my shoulder back to 100%, I could start to pursue grappling again, but until then I, I was gonna do something a little bit different with my life. I quickly realized that wasn't for me. I, I wanted to be a professional grappler. I, I just love Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and I knew that that was my calling in life. So I set some goals. The three big goals I set were, one, obviously come back 100% healthy, come back, make sure that I do not come back too soon where I re-tear the shoulder. So I hit the ground running on my therapy. I did everything my therapist asked and luckily five and a half months after surgery, I was back rolling with two arms. My second big goal was to come back as a better grappler. I really wanted people to be shocked how much I had improved, um, You know, even though I wasn't able to train with my right arm. And I can honestly say I came back a much, much better grappler. It almost felt like a cheat code when I was allowed to roll with my right arm again. And the third goal was with my weight. I wanted to start walking under 160, really right around 155 to 157. Prior to the shoulder injury, I had always competed at 170 and I had cut weight to 155 twice, both for professional events. So I really knew just looking at my body and the way that – and just some of the fat that I was carrying that I was capable of competing at 145. I've seen so many guys and trained with guys that competed professionally in the MMA world at 145 that were way bigger than me, that had way more muscle. So I knew that I could walk around close and I could even walk around near 145. So – uh, I took me about seven, eight months to get down to 155 to where I could walk at that pretty comfortably. And I tried a bunch of different diets during that time. What really helped was um coming back to training and being able to roll with both arms. I just when I after five and a half months and six months of, of changing my diet, coming back and then adding hard training to that, I lost that last couple of pounds. And It was 11 months after the surgery, there was a huge professional tournament. It was called Finisher Sub Only. I had done the first finishers, and the first finishers ended up being a huge deal. There was multiple guys that competed well at EBI. I mean, it was the first time that I had seen Gordon Ryan. Gordon Ryan won the weight division above me. So the first finishers was a 16-man bracket of 170 pounds and 155. I did the 155-pound bracket and Gordon Ryan did the 170. So Gordon Ryan killed it that day. He submitted everybody in regulation. He looked like a stud and as we all know, he ended up turning into the number one pound-for-pound grappler in today. And the guy that won the 155 pound division his name was mike devia he actually earned a spot in ebi for winning that finishers so there was a 145 pound finishers the first time they were doing 145 and it was set for january i believe it was january so as i said it was 11 months after my uh, shoulder injury and it was just the perfect thing for me to come back to I was super excited, super pumped, and committed to making 145. Now, the thing was I had to make 145 same day. And I ended up doing a keto diet the last month, and I showed up, made 145 pretty easily. I ended up cutting one pound of water the day of. I had three hours uh, to kind of get water and get some food in me before I competed. And I actually ended up facing Mike DeVia, who won the first finishers and who is a multiple-time EBI semifinalist. So we had a great match. I love Mike DeVia. I have tons of tons and tons of respect for him. I, I did a couple of things during that match that kind of went viral. A lot of people kind of know me for the no hand a choke escape I think it's got like a hundred thousand plus views on youtube and i still see people or get questions about that escape because mike devia and over time he ends up putting me in a full rear naked choke and i end up escaping it without my hands so a lot of people thought that was super cool and it was honestly like i had went to that tournament i'll probably do another podcast episode just about that technique because i get so many questions about it but you know, had a great showing, did great with Mike. Um, lost in overtime, but I was really, really proud of how I recovered from my shoulder surgery. And, and you know, I, I really thought that the sky was the limit—that um, I could come back a year plus off competition, and I could come back and compete with a guy that that was at that level. A month later, I took a super fight with a fourth-degree black belt. And if you don't know how the, um, the, the after, like once you get your black belt, how the degrees work, um, after you get your black belt, it really comes down to time. Each degree is time-based. So the first three stripes are three years apart, and then every stripe uh, from four to six is five years apart, and then from seven to nine is seven years apart. So this guy was, I believe he was 38 years old. He had won like a bunch of tournaments in Brazil. He had, I believe he had just gotten his fourth degree. So he had been a black belt uh, for 14, just over 14 years. And at the time, I had been training five years. So it was a big deal for me. I was like, man, you know, I, I'm getting ready to face a guy that's been a black belt almost three times longer than I've been training. He had helped start jujitsu in Alabama and he had a couple of different schools uh, across the country it it was a big big showcase for me and i went into that match with a lot of confidence and i actually ended up getting a Darsh choke victory after seven minutes i believe so we had a great match he um, actually put me in an arm bar ended up escaping the arm bar i got on top i passed his guard and i hit uh, one of my favorite darse variations well, after that match, I was on top of the world, and I was getting a lot of met- uh, messages w- with a lot of people offering me um, you know, seminars and competition gigs. There was a lot of super fight offers, and a lot of people wanting me to get into these like 16-man uh, brackets. Well, I didn't want to just accept anything, and uh, I kind of wanted to take a-, a month or two off of competing. Uh, I was walking around at, at again, like a really lightweight. I had sustained... I I wasn't feeling my best walking around at 155. And looking back, I should have never been 155. It's just a little too light for me, especially with how hard I train. But um, I I was having lots of success. So I I really like my plan was to compete at the ADCC trials at 145. I was going to win it and I was going to earn my spot at 145 at the next ADCC. But as I said, I, I was kind of overtrained, and I, I just was mentally kind of burnt out from stressing about competition. So I, I wanted to take some time off. But a week later, after that match, I, I got an offer that was just too good to refuse. Now this was a terrible offer. Um, I, I honestly should have never, ever agreed to do this match. But um sapatero had offered me a match with joe Bayes. it was going to be in one month and it was going to be the main event of sapatero nine i think so it was the ninth sapatero and i had wanted to be on sapatero for the past couple of years sapatero and finishers were my two favorite tournaments to watch and i had watched a lot of guys that i looked up to win those tournaments and, and really put on some special performances uh, at those showcases and the previous Zapatero was headlined by Gordon Ryan versus Wagner Rocha, and I knew Gordon Ryan was a special grappler. Again, nobody knew and nobody even thought that Gordon was going to become, uh, as quickly as he did, the best guy in the world, but I knew that he was a special grappler that was going to make a lot of waves and that had potential to win ADCC, and I wanted a similar path to Gordon's. So I was like man you know I would watched that match and when I like when I was asked to be the main event after that I was like man I, I couldn't believe it and it was against a guy named Joe Bays. Now Joe Bays has been in I want to say he's been in 2 ADCC. So this was an ADCC caliber opponent and I'd already faced a couple of guys that had been to ADCC and I'd done pretty decent with them and and um I didn't know much about Joe Bays. I didn't even know what he looked like before I was offered the match. I had heard the name. Like I knew who he was, but I didn't know who he was, if you know what I'm trying to say. I uh, knew that he was kind of a legend around the Southeast because he leglocked everybody. He was really the guy that promoted and taught leglocks to a lot of guys and made guys very aware of leglocks in the Southeast. And I took the match pretty much a couple hours after i was offered it i I just really thought it was too good of an opportunity to pass up well i didn't realize joe bays had competed at heavyweight like he'd been most as competing uh, at heavyweight so he was way 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 bigger than me and he was cutting down to 170 so I was like, okay, this is perfect. I can get off my diet for a couple of months. I can gain some weight back and I can face this guy at 170. Uh, again, I didn't realize how much weight that, that he was going to be cutting. And his goal and the reason he was looking to cut down was he was looking to do EBI and he wanted to become EBI champion at that weight. So, I was like, okay, we've got similar goals. Let's see what happens, you know, if I can beat this guy, then it really shows that I'm EBI ready and I'm ADCC ready. So as I said, I take the match, and three days after accepting this match, I took a neck injury during training. I got put in a really weird spot, and I felt a slight pop in my neck, and I felt some pain there after training, and it really freaked me out. Like I could really, I felt like a muscle pull in my neck. I just felt something pop. It didn't, it didn't feel good. I knew it was an injury. I just didn't know how severe it was. Well, I was always really paranoid about neck injuries and spinal injuries because I just knew that that was the one thing that kept guys off the mat and that really made guys retire from grappling. I had watched Brandon come back from a slightly—I uh, don't know if "slightly" is the right word—but he did have a fracture in his neck and he had—he um, just had like bone spurs. His neck was all jacked up. I had watched how how long it took him to come back from that injury and so it always scared me. any type of neck thing always scared me. Um, even though I had never had problems with my neck, just the thought of it freaked me out. So after I took this injury, I you know my neck got super stiff and it was hurt for like the next 24 hours. I just like could barely move my neck and I, I really started to freak out. I remember telling my mom about it and just being like, man you know I'm really worried that I caused some major damage. And as always, like whenever you first get an injury, the first thing you hope for is like, I hope I go to sleep tonight. I'll take a couple of ibuprofen. I'll go to sleep tonight and I'll wake up and I'll be better tomorrow. Well, that's not what happened. And that's not what happened for a couple of days. And I started to panic. I really thought that I had done some major damage to my neck and i was really worried about a bulging disc or even a herniated disc this is right around the time that eddie was starting to deal with some of his lower back stuff and i knew it was keeping him off the mat so i was just thinking man like this is it this is the neck injury this is the spinal injury that i was worried about i'm going to be off the mats for you know a period of time like oh like just panicking and what sucks about Uh, what sucks sometimes about our healthcare system. And I totally understand that, you know, there's so many people trying to see these different specialists, but I know it would just be really nice to be able to see a specialist whenever you wanted, like whenever you needed them that you could just get right in. And so I had to, I scheduled an appointment with a uh, orthopedic surgeon who specialized in necks i was told he was like the best guy in northern alabama so i waited two weeks to see him because i wanted to see the best and during that time i kept trying to train like i, I started off because I, I still was committed to this match and it was a week after um i first initially took the injury i tried to train and i remember i told one of my training partners I was like you know hey like i'm gonna try and roll today i need to like get ready for this match don't t- touch my neck. Well, a minute into this match, this person touches my neck. And my neck pops again. So I'm freaking out that I just did even more damage to it. I'm an absolute wreck, you know. I'm just so much anxiety about this. And I just remember I would like sit, you know, we have um, a tiki hut at our gym, And after I got done doing some solo drills, I wouldn't do anything off my back, any type of inversion. But after I did some like passing drills, I would go behind the tiki hut. And I just would have these thoughts of like, what am I doing? Why am I competing? Why am I grappling? Like, do I even like this anymore? Like, I just built myself like all this pressure was like really starting to affect me. And I just was so stressed. And I went and saw this specialist and so this is probably i think this is almost three weeks after the initial injury and i see this specialist i tell him what's going on he has me do a couple of tests and i'm telling you guys like i my neck like hurt i was convinced that something was seriously seriously wrong well after this guy has me do a couple of tests he just looks at me and goes what are you doing here and I, and I just was like, what do you mean, what am I doing here? I, I hurt my neck, and I'm looking for a diagnosis. And he said, you don't have a neck injury. And I just was like, wait, what? And he was like, look, the first thing that I have, like, there's a couple of tests I do when somebody first comes in. And, uh, the, the first thing he asked me to do was to look over my right shoulder as far as I could, and then look over my left shoulder. And when I could do that, he just knew immediately that it wasn't anything serious. He saw the, my, my range of motion and just knew that if it was something serious, there was no way I could do what I was doing. And I was like, he didn't even want to get like an MRI done. And that bothered me because, you know, here's this guy that like this specialist on neck injuries. And I'm hoping he's finally, he's going to diagnose me and then diagnose uh, me. And then just like when I got my shoulder surgery, I was, I would create goals and I would come back a better grappler, but he didn't even want to take any more tests. Like he just wanted me out of his head. He was like, look, what are you doing here? I'm super busy. Nothing's wrong with you. You've just got a, a strain neck muscle. You'll be fine in a couple of weeks. Take it easy. Well, I leave that and now I'm hearing, okay, this guy's telling me I'm fine. I've got 10 days or so before this huge match with Joe Bays that, that's going to be you know, on YouTube that people are, are going to be watching and they're, they're excited about. People are messaging me all the time like, can't wait for this match. You're going to crush this dude. You're going to the top, all this stuff. So I'm building this up in my head. I try and train again. And I'm just at this point rolling with some really light people and doing my best. But I'm trying to avoid going to my back or playing any type of guard. So it's the week of the tournament. And all I can think about is pulling out of this match. I do not want to do this match. But I'd already committed to it. And the last thing I wanted to do was to pull out. And at our gym at 10th Planet Decatur, um, it was just kind of part of our code that if you committed to doing a tournament whether it was an amateur tournament or professional like this was a professional opportunity if you said you were going to do it you did it unless something like in like insane happened like you lost a limb or somebody died like you were going to do that match it just was part of the the honor code that that we had kind of created so i it's you know three four days out and i'm waking up with like panic attacks i remember waking up On Wednesday so the match is Saturday I woke up Wednesday night just paralyzed like I couldn't move and I just was super freaked out and I had had a couple of uh, panic attacks prior to that but this one was like a really really bad one if you've never had a panic attack just you're so lucky you really just think you're about to die like your heart's beating you're like you think you're having a heart attack mind's racing and I, I did that twice I woke up twice in the middle of the night just paralyzed with fear And all I could think about was going into this match like, first, I cannot let this guy grab my head because if he grabs my head, he's going to worsen my neck injury. And, um, you know, I go, I show up. This match took place in Memphis. I I drive three and a half hours. I do this match easily my worst performance in my uh, jiu-jitsu career. I got straight ankle locked a minute and a half in and definitely not proud of my performance in that match, but I am still kind of proud that, that I took the match, that I, you know, had agreed to do something and I didn't back out last second. Even though as a coach, I would never in a million years let one of my athletes compete in the state of mind and the the way my body felt, there's no way I'd let any of them compete. So if you, any of you are listening, there's no way in hell I'm letting you guys step out there. Um, if you have an injury that's stopping you from training, if you haven't trained within a week of your match, there, I'm not letting you do it unless you're getting paid a you know thousands of dollars to show up and do that match. But I was convinced, and I guess where the fear came from was I just thought that, man, without that MRI, without that knowledge of knowing, like, truly what was wrong with my neck, like, maybe I have a bulging disc, or maybe I have a herniated disc that he just he just couldn't diagnose, and, you know, he told me, cause he was like, well, just wait a couple of months, and if you still have pain, we'll get an MRI then, and I'm like, a couple of months, you know, I'm, Holding up my recovery process because this guy won't do his job and he won't give me an MRI. And after I lose that match with Joe Bays, though, I'm driving home Memphis. My mom actually ended up driving me to that match. And we're driving home. And I remember just this sense of relief, like it was over like oh thank god all this pressure all this all this anxiety I had been feeling leading up to this match about my neck and about how I was going to perform and what my future was in grappling it was all gone and almost immediately i would say a, probably a week after this match my neck felt 10 times better there still was like a little stiffness but the pain was almost all gone i could train again it was almost like magic and I didn't really understand at the time. I just was so thankful that it wasn't, you know, a herniated disc or a bulging disc like I had feared for five, six weeks, that I didn't question it. But listening to this podcast, it really made me realize that our minds and our mindset is is a lot of times are in in every case connected to the pain that we feel. And the stress and all of the stress that i put on myself to do this match and to perform well and i'm trying to cut you know at the time i'd been cutting weight now i'm trying to gain weight i'm like really focusing on this joe bays guy and i know that he's this you know guy that's competed in adcc he's competed against legends and this could be an opportunity for me if i win maybe it just lines me up for an ebi spot And without those thoughts, without that pressure and, you know, really being able to relax for a week and just kind of let my mind rest, the pain went away. The pain had numbed down and my neck healed. And and within a couple of weeks, I was 100 percent and I've had zero neck problems since. And I just wonder how many of us deal with a pain like that, whether it's a chronic pain maybe you've dealt with for years or something like that, like, oh, you know, you take some type of strain and it lasts and it lingers way longer than it should. And anxiety, if any of you guys deal with anxiety, you know that it's a bitch, man. It, It can really make you think things that just aren't true. It can make you think and even give you symptoms that, um, you know, maybe mimic something like a slipped disc or a bulging disc or a herniated disc. And, you know, if you have and you don't have that anxiety and you're really taking care of yourself and your mindset's positive, how much better you feel, how much duller the pain actually is. And... Um, th- this podcast that I was listening to said something that, that really opened my eyes to how we deal with pain. And I always thought pain was purely a physical response and that pain was a sign that we needed to get help and we needed to rest. We needed to heal. But I didn't realize how it was connected to our brains and that our brains play a major role in how we deal with pain. And this uh, podcast guest was talking about a couple of different examples. She 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 talked about two different examples, both happened at construction sites, and I thought both of these were fascinating. So the first example, a guy fell at a construction site and he landed on a seven-inch nail. So lands on this giant nail, goes through his boot. He's in agony. You know, he's screaming. Everybody's freaking out. He's got this giant. Uh, nail that's went through his foot they rush him to the hospital and the the surgery team's preparing like they're getting ready to you know go in take this nail out well when they take the boot off they find out and just everybody's completely shocked they they see that just by miracle that the nail had actually went in between his toes and it didn't pierce his skin at all he had zero injury but the pain Like he couldn't, he didn't know that because all he could see was there was a nail sticking through his work boots. And so his brain processed it as something was wrong that he needed to react and it sent off these pain signals that shouldn't have been sent off. And so when he saw that and they took the, you know, he took his boot off and they took the nail out of his boot, the pain went away almost immediately. Now, another example from a construction site. Is a guy was using a nail gun and it misfired. And he saw the nail go through the wall and it reverberated. And the nail gun ended up hitting his jaw. And he had a bruise on his face for like a week, but he noticed that he just had, you know, he had a bruise and he had some dull pain in his jaw. Well, after over a week of dealing with this pain, he thought it might have been a toothache. He just didn't know what, like maybe that the, the, the uh, nail gun had maybe knocked a, a feeling loose or something like that. He went and got x-rays taken and to the doctor and himself, like to their amazement and shock, he had actually had a four inch nail in his jaw the entire time. But since he didn't see it go in, he didn't feel any of the pain and obviously he needed a major surgery to get that nail out. And, It's fascinating to me, um, both those stories really show how our brain uh, can amplify pain and the thoughts that we're thinking and just the way that we react to a situation can either amplify pain or it can dull pain. And in my situation, since I was freaking out and I had all these extra external pressures that I put on myself, uh, it caused me to freak out. It caused me to experience way more pain than I should have. And once I dealt with it and I got to a healthy place mentally, I recovered and I healed. And another thing that's always fascinated me, and it made me think about the paramedics and I've, I've heard multiple paramedics say this is that you always anytime like they show up to a car scene a car wreck scene you always want to talk of like somebody's there unconscious you always want to talk to them in positive voices even if you don't think they can hear you you always say positive things to them like hey you're going to be okay hey you're going to get through this the moment you start talking negative And you start telling somebody that, oh, you know, oh, things look awful. Oh, you're you're dying. We need you to, like, it triggers something and you start to worsen. So it's super important, guys, okay? I can't stress this enough, that you see pain, any pain you're dealing with. Think about the mind-body connection. How are you dealing with this pain? How are you trying to get better physically but more importantly, Something that I think a lot of us don't think about, what are you doing mentally to recover from this pain? What are you doing mentally to recover from this injury? Because if you are not, if you are not handling this injury and this pain mentally healthy, you're not thinking positive thoughts, you're not taking positive steps to recover, then you are hindering your body's ability to recover and it's going to take a lot longer and you're going to cause yourself a lot of stress and depression Um, from mentally handling injuries wrong. So that's my story, guys. It's really, um, that experience has really changed the way that I treat my injuries. And the last thing in the world, I haven't had any panic attacks since uh, before that tournament and I'm crossing my fingers and praying that I never have another one and I know that taking care of myself physically but mentally are both going to um, you know cause me to live a, a long and healthy life. Until next time, guys, I hope you guys watch the PGF tonight. This night of episodes is the most exciting night of PGF matches in the history of the PGF. It blows away any other week. So if you love the PGF and you tune in every week, you do not want to miss tonight. The matches are fire. There are some just crazy wild matches that end in, man, just insanity. So until next time, guys, peace.